the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need and every sports story that matters. Download the app, personalize your feed with your favorite teams and leagues and get exclusive ad-free content on the daily. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Monday-ish morning, afternoon-ish, noon-ish, lunchtime. A little late today. Kids are out of school. The editorial sections on SpotTrack are starting to crank up a little bit. Good to have Keith Smith on the NBA side of things, cranking out some outstanding pieces in terms of off-season previews, uh, Luka Doncic breakdowns. We're going to have player breakdowns really all season long in terms of Trey Young, you know, DeAndre Ayton, Joel Embiid, all these contract extension eligible players, trade candidates. That's the hot stove stuff heating up right now. And of course, free agent previews for the upcoming August 1st-ish, August 7th-ish free agent season, depending on when you think it may start. Keys all over that. I'll be picking up the slack a little bit on the NFL side, including today. I'll get to a piece I just posted not too long ago and break down a little bit of that as well. Let's talk golf. (laughs) I mean, it's not often that a non-manger on the PGA Tour is going to get as much attention as this Traveler Championship did this weekend, specifically Sunday with the eight-hole playoff. Historic stuff. Two of the nicer guys on the tour clearly kind of need to see them interact during this and not just sort of put the medal down and, and, and try to be uber competitive about this. They played the crowd. They kind of uh, placated off each other a little bit. Here's the deal. And you know, you're not going to hear this on the CBS broadcast, but I was locked and loaded on these numbers as every, every ball was hit because the difference between one and two is a little over $500,000. I mean, it's a half a million dollar difference to say, you know, I'm going to make this birdie putt or I'm not going to make this birdie putt. So the fact that they were going toe to toe for so long, 26, 27 holes later, it's a, it's a big deal. And and in the, uh, in the case of Kramer Hickok, this guy's made $1.3 million his entire PGA career, almost to the dot. So that was the payout yesterday. That's what Harry English scored 1.3 and change. Hickok had the chance to double his career earnings yesterday with that victory. He, he comes in a little bit under at $800,000, but still, you know, 70% of his earnings, he tacked on to, his, to, to yesterday's payday. That's how big one, one tournament win. We've had Kevin Sylvester, our good buddy and friend of the show, say this over and over again. It only takes one. And if you can do that once a year, you're going to be in a really good spot, not only because of the fact that you can play more tournaments rather easily, but just the that one hit, that one payout will cover you for a year, year and a half easily to be able to sustain travel and, and equipment and things like that. Not to mention, you know, a tournament like Travelers that is so focused sponsorship-wise. I mean, the red umbrellas everywhere, the uh, the flower displays, those kind of things, which were in full focus uh, during those the 18-hole, 17-hole playoffs. You know, now they're turning to these two guys and saying, look, you're marketable. Huge ratings, huge television ratings. Let's get our uh, our logo on your hat, our logo on your shirt. That's certainly how many of these these non superstars make bang for buck. So 
kind of a cool payout. Here's the uh, here's the top five breakdown. Harry English, 1.3 million. Kramer Hickok, 806,000. Mark Leishman, 510,000 for third place. Answer got 362 for fourth exclusively. And then we had five people tied at fifth, which will split about $253,000 each. So nice paydays per the uh, top 10 there in terms of yesterday's earnings. But some drama at the top and some uh, some really substantial uh, payouts to two guys that generally don't do that. You know, they they, they get they get one a year in terms of Harry English, and uh, he's in that good groove. So this is a big nice get for him. He's uh he's now in the top ten of earnings in the entire PGA for the 2020 season. So this is not uh, you know uncharted territory for him. He's having a nice little season based on his standards and based on everybody's standards. In fact, I just checked on spotdirect.com slash PGA. Harry Harris English, excuse me for the uh, the misnomer there. Harris English, now fifth in 2020-21 earnings on the PGA Tour. $5.5 million earned this season alone. So he jumps ahead of Jordan Spieth, Louis Eusthuizen, Jander Shoffley, big-time names to put himself where he is right now. Here's your top five, just so you have it. John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau right behind him, Justin Thomas right behind them, Patrick Cantlay with fourth, and Harris English now fifth. So quite a step forward for yesterday's Travelers Championship winner. Well, keep on it. I'm I'm loving I'm loving the PGA stuff this year, maybe more than ever. And and tracking the money is just obviously bringing it kind of full circle for me. So we'll stay on that for sure. All right, let's talk NFL real quick. I just posted a piece, one highlight, one off-season highlight from every single NFL franchise this off-season. So what's the what's the one thing that's going to stand out, you know, whether it's one player, whether it's a, a position group that was focused on, whether it's a trade that was made, whether it's a player that was lost, a player that was acquired, um, circum- different circumstances, obviously, for every team. Um, I, I, I try to keep it as contract specific as possible. So I'm not talking about, you know, Deshaun Watson's offseason trouble specifically. I'm talking more about maybe what Houston did in conjunction with that or, you know, in response to that, for instance. Uh, so just another example, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, they did some damage on the defensive side of the ball in terms of free agency in the draft, as you might expect they would after last season. But there's no question that the most important thing they did was extend Dak Prescott. You know, we talked about it for 18 months. There was a huge buildup. They got it done. It's a great contract. I broke that down for you quite a while ago. It's here. He seems to be healthy. He's going to be on the field, I think, for training camp. So that's a markedly better team. And they have him locked in for at least three years, but that's a true four-year contract when all the uh, rolling guarantees kick in. So that's their highlight right now. And you may, maybe something you forgot about because <laughs> after it happened, we all just kind of took a deep breath and said, fine, we're finally off this. No more deck talk. Let's switch gears. So every team's going to have their own little version of this. And I think you'll be surprised by some. And you know, maybe you forgot about a few others, but Every team, they're highlighted from the offseason thus far. Still still plenty of offseason left for uh, drama or maybe some actually some decent trades. I think still out there. I posted a couple of uh, potential trades not too long ago on SpyTrack.com that uh, I think still could come to fruition. But for now, here's what's happened so far for each team. And, uh, you know, hit me up at SpotTrack where I screwed up or where maybe you think there could be more attention paid to. Okay, let's switch gears, flip over to sports valuations with Scott Allen. A little bit different from him today. He's got some great numbers, kind of referencing both Sportico and Forbes over the past couple of years, where we are now in terms of franchise valuations, 
where we might be going, why the numbers look like they do, what does that mean for future sales of some franchises, maybe movement, expansion, things like that. Really good in-depth conversation with Scott about how to value and what are the values of certain franchises across the big four sports. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing, supporting prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more today about the pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right, Scott, switching gears, pushing away from some of the player-centric stuff we've been doing recently, and uh, much of which I focused on in the open here, NFL-wise. Let's talk teams. Let's talk franchises. Um, eh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago now, Sportico, you know, our good friends over there, really have done some great work. And it's a big part of what they do over there, which is valuing franchises on a more modern level. So it's not just yes. money in, money out. It's not just player salaries. It's not just, you know, what are they getting at the gate versus that. Um, it's a little bit closer to... I think what a sale price would be, which is to me, that's always been something that's been left out of the conversation when talking about how much the Cowboys are worth or the Yankees are worth. It isn't so much about what they're earning and profiting. That's, you know, that's, that's accounting, but you know, at the end of the day, what the hell is somebody going to have to pony up to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves? Like we're seeing happening right now to to buy the Utah jazz, an ownership change we just saw. Um, So, I think Spartaco has done a really good job of, of, of impacting the numbers a little bit more closely and accurately to what that part of the conversation is. So it's, it's look, we can bring in stadium conversations here. We can bring in player salaries and payrolls, which we do quite a lot. There's a lot of avenues to these, to these valuations. Let's just talk about the teams, I guess. And let's start with, I, I mean, disclosure, we're not going to have an NHL discussion here because Sportico hasn't gone down that path yet. And, well, and quite frankly, nobody has. Well, and the Forbes valuations from a year ago, everyone was down in the NHL, yeah. and nothing has come out since for them. And like you said, Sportico hasn't gone down that road with the NHL. I think they're working on it, and it may be coming, but they've only done uh, NFL, NBA, MLB, and they've done EPL as well so far. Interesting. Um I mean, that's going to be the big dollars. There's no question about it. The NHL is going to be fifth on the list. Um Let's start with the NFL. Let's pay the bills here. Uh, it's obviously the Cowboys at the top. It always has been, always will be. Jerry Jones has publicly said many times he won't even discuss an, an, an offer for the Cowboys that doesn't start at $10 billion. How off is he with that number? Four, three and a half. So six and a half million, million about dollars. their worth. Yeah, that, that's about right. Um Spartaco's got a nice piece on on not just their valuations, but kind of how I opened, which is, you know, what would it take to purchase some of these teams? And they focus a couple of paragraphs on the fact that Scott, because of the rules with the NFL and, and, the, and the collective bargaining and purchasing and actually owning a franchise, there are so many stipulations that go into single ownership like Jerry Jones has right now that it's almost impossible for somebody to outright buy the Cowboys off of Jerry Jones because they're too big, they're too yep. powerful. You would have to basically sell off so much of your life 
to be, it's a debt situation. You can't walk in, pay for a pay, pay for an NFL franchise and then be in maximum debt. I believe the debt cap you can have is like 500 million. So not to get down that rabbit hole too far, the Spartaco basically says there's like 16 human beings on earth right now that could conceivably take, take the Cowboys from Jerry Jones legally standing, which is an incredible statement. I mean, that's an incredible thing to say out loud. And that is, that is why Jerry Jones can go on a radio show and say whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> I mean, Because even if the league forces him to sell at some point, it's almost impossible. They can't even do it. They can slap him on the wrist. But that's the kind of power he holds. And that's why he's such a polarizing figure in this league. So let's push away from the Cowboys. What, what's, give us the, round out the top three for us. So you have the Cowboys, the Patriots, and the Los Angeles Rams. All right. Uh, that makes, a, makes a by, lot of sense. Yeah, not surprised by the Patriots. Winning is going to raise your value. Los Angeles, they have the new stadium. They relocated. You know, all of those things. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Where are the Chargers on this list? Because that's an interesting dynamic. They're towards the bottom third. I mean, they have absolutely no impact on the Rams. Clearly. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean... Because generally you would think, and I guess the Yankees and the Mets have the same dynamic, but they're such a, they are two separate entities. I mean, physically speaking, everything about them is different. Always has been, you know, the, the Rams and the Chargers are sharing a home, have been sharing a home, have been sharing fans. That's let's just be, you know, for all intents and the Rams just dominate this thing and they've won more and they've had more polarizing figures and athletes and, and all that stuff. But it's interesting to me that they can separate themselves that much really coming down the same pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Hmm. I, it, it probably helped that the, the Rams were the first to go to that stadium right. and then the Chargers came in after the fact, um, and used to be there. So there's some nostalgia to it. Correct. Okay. I guess let's go to the bottom of the list because you know, yeah. I, I would imagine Scott, there's a big three or a big five and then, Everybody else is kind of packed into the middle. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, I guess you could say that. It, the NFL more so has a slow taper down compared to some of the other leagues. When we get to the bottom, you're talking Cincinnati Bengals at the very bottom, then the Detroit Lions, and then the Buffalo Bills. Mm -hmm. Those three, if you compare Sportico with Forbes, the Bills and the Lions flip-flop. Um, but those bottom three are consistent with between Forbes and what Sportico has come up with. Okay. And, and, and they do a nice breakdown. I don't know if you have it there in front of you. Is it, you know, what is it about those three that has kept them at bay in terms of these valuations? Is it just an inability to, cause you know, I, I I'm local with the bills. I know that they sell out that stadium more often than not. So I imagine their gate is decent. I imagine their concessions are decent, but the standard of living here is much, much less than LA or Boston and right. even New York city or New Jersey. Um, so I imagine they're just behind the eight ball from the get go, even though from a spectator perspective, from a, a sales perspective, they're probably doing as well as any franchise. Yes, I would agree with that. Um... And they're also not paying players. <laughs> I mean, they have not. They don't have a hundred million dollar contract on their resume at all. And and I think one of the things I looked at that I compiled before we got onto this topic was when was there each of these bottom threes stadiums constructed, sure. opened? I, 
the monkey, uh, the elephant in the room is the Bill Stadium is from 1973, and that is why the Buffalo Bills and the the NFL is pushing for the Bills to have a new stadium because they want that stadium. When you have a Sportico who is including social media, technology, what, how the stadiums are constructed, everything about a franchise, this is why the NFL is pushing for the Buffalo Bills to have a new stadium because when you've been in a stadium that was built in 1973 and all the amenities and everything, as soon as you add that into – your portfolio of a new stadium, that's going to raise your valuation. So I, I really think this is why there has been a push for the Bills to get a new stadium because obviously all these other new stadiums, they're, they're making them so that you can have uh, concerts and all these other things mm-hmm. in, in addition. But having a brand new stadium that is worth X billion dollars is going to bring up that valuation because that is an asset being calculated within all of these uh, uh, models that are being created. So I think with the bills, that is a a, a huge, huge item. And and that's why they're pushing that. The uh, uh, Detroit Lions, their stadium opened in 2002 and Cincinnati was in 2000. So I I, I would not more recent, but with how everything has changed as far as, you know, sports betting, social media, internet and stadiums, I would not be surprised if some of those stadiums, if they haven't already, have to do massive upgrades. And I didn't go through and look at all the other stadiums of when they've been open for those teams. I just looked at these bottom three just to see if there was any consistency. And, you know, I looked at baseball basketball i even i did pull up that bottom three of hockey just to see comparison there as well so explain to me how winning moves this metric oh i think it's going to move like the the tampa bay uh buccaneers they are sixth from the bottom in in sportico's rankings here i i would not be surprised if they jump three four or five teams having won that super bowl um I think it's going to have a big effect on it because, like we've said, with their model, they're taking into everything business-oriented. So the Buccaneers win, that's revenue because you get sales jerseys right. and memorabilia and, and everything else. Um, so I would not be surprised if when they rerun their metrics now that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won, that they jump up quite a bit. Hmm. I mean, it's not a surprise that the bottom three there are, are where they are there. It's just, uh, you know, and, and the Jets, a team who haven't won a lot, I imagine they're middle of the pack, though, because of their standing, their location, correct? Well, yes, yes, absolutely. And going back with, with the, the winning, so I, I took a look at um, how much – I had to go off of the Forbes because Sportico doesn't have a value to compare percent change. The Buffalo Bills – their percent change from uh, 19, uh, 2019 to 2020, they went up 8%. They were winning. They, they had a win percentage over the last three years of uh, uh, 60%. Uh, so um, winning definitely does help, uh, but I think it also is in comparison of fan base and, and, and everything else. But winning is definitely a factor. Well, winning gets you – better games get you better get you more primetime games Correct. which i have to imagine is where you can 
easily pick up quick money. You know what I mean? Like a Monday night game, a Sunday night game, that's bang for buck immediately without doing anything. Just You, you just earn that by winning ball games or being polarizing or having a storyline or a headline inside of your, your franchise. So uh, I get that part of it. Um, is it, are all these trends trickling over to the other sports, Scott? I mean, are you seeing the same kind of things? The Yankees have been bad now for a couple of seasons. Not bad, but not contenders. And they're kind of in that boat right now. Is there ever going to be a point? Because, it, you know, Dallas was in that boat as well. They were struggling in the division for a few years there. Uh, when's the last time they were in the Super Bowl? It's been forever as, as well, you know, as documented here. So, and yet they continue to rise the charts. They continue to do you know, to, to blow everybody else out of the water from a franchise standpoint, I would imagine. I mean, think about the run New England just had 20 years. And mm-hmm. th- uh, how close is one versus two, Dallas versus New England? Is it even close? Uh, not really. Dal- uh, Dallas is at $6.4 billion. New England's at $4.97 <laughs> so That's insane. So, no. That's insane. I mean, you have uh, the greatest player at the most important position for 20 years. You win all these Super Bowls. You are constantly in the spotlight. You're constantly getting the opening day game, the opening weekend game. You're constantly getting Monday night games. You're, you're in tons of playoff games at home. And you can't even breathe down the Cowboys' neck. That's what Jerry Jones has they, done there. Well, because they, they, he's polarized. Because he speaks. Because he's out there. Because of... He, Jerry Jones was social media before we had social media. You're, he was just right. social and in the media. The, the Yankees are the Yankees are a similar situation. And, and Steinbrenner, Yankees, he was social in right. the media. The, the Yankees are at six point seven five billion dollars. Down to number two is the Red Sox at four point eight billion dollars. So it's a very similar you know situation. What it is, Scott, it's it's the it's the the class clown versus the nerd. You understand what I'm saying? I, I do. It is the guy yes. who can speak loudest and get the most attention is just always going to be ahead of the game here, even if the guys who have it figured out on the field and have it figured out from an analytical standpoint, that's Boston and that's the Red Sox and the Patriots for all intents. I mean, they are the you know adjustment money bulk kings of the past two decades. They'll get there and they'll make their money, but you're never going to top that the pomp and circumstance that the Yankees and the Cowboys can throw out there. It's really interesting how at the end of the day, it's still a popularity contest. Right. Right. And when you go and look at the NBA, there's actually, there's an actual more of a top three and then a drop off instead of a one and then a drop off. So it's Yankees, Red Sox. Do I, let me guess. Oh, it's gotta be Dodgers. uh, Yes. Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, Giants. Huh? And the Giants are where they are because of the championships they won. Right. Because then there's another tier drop off where you have the Mets, the Angels, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the, the Astros. So winning definitely does matter because look, the Cubs and the Red Sox, they've always probably been valued high, but having won those championships when they did probably just escalated them even more. Same with the Dodgers of most recent. Um, Do you have a year by year in, in Major League Baseball by chance in terms of the last couple of seasons? I do. Okay. I mean, have the Yankees 
has their rise slowed a bit in this in in this past? Because here's what I'm thinking, and maybe they're a bad example because they have sort of dialed back the spending a little bit in terms of player acquisitions and things like that. So maybe they've just gotten smarter in terms of how they run their business as it is. But you know, I'm thinking about like the Warriors, and I know we're not to the NBA yet, Scott, but you and I have talked at, at large about how the Warriors have just been bleeding cash in terms of their payroll, you know, and they, they were a fringe playoff team. They probably shouldn't have even been that out. You know, Steph Curry went out of his mind this year. They were a fringe playoff team last year. You know, actually, excuse me, they were one of the worst teams in basketball last year, you know, and who knows if they can bring it back to life next year, but they are huge taxpayers, huge payroll payers. That's, that's an impact to this. How much does it negatively impact your franchise valuation when you are spending $300 million on players and getting nowhere in the postseason? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like that's been the Yankees for a decade, over a decade. They've and, and like I said, they have dialed back their spending a bit. But how much of this is payroll in, payroll out? Or, or is it just a small piece of the puzzle because these everything is so big and so rich? I think because it's so big and so rich – the Yankees, when I look at their their year-to-year numbers since 2012, it's been a fairly consistent increase every year. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, you know 300 to 400 million every year it's gone up. So whether they've been in the postseason or have spent or not spent since 2012, their valuation has consistently gone up no matter what. Okay, so what did the? Uh, uh, it's just in the back of my head. What did the Timberwolves just sell for? Are, are in the process of selling for one, lawsuits or whatever? <laughs> yeah, what one point five billion dollars? And, and where were they valued wise? Uh, with a Sportico valuation, they are in the bottom three, and it was at one point four three billion dollars. So extremely so, close. Extremely close, overpaid, but um, in addition to what. The $1.5 billion is it's not only the Minnesota Timberwolves, but it includes the Lynx franchise as well and some other assets in there. So it's a, uh, a all-in-one purchase. So That's I don't a very know, interesting part of this. It, it is because I don't know if this $1.4 billion of the Timberwolves is just the Timberwolves franchise. Uh, I would assume it's just their franchise and not everything mm-hmm. that uh, – Taylor owns so the purchase that right it's not an owner valuation it's a franchise valuation right so so it probably is pretty close to what it is having known that the links and some other assets are included in this purchase so it's a pretty good deal when it's all yeah I would think so because I think getting into a WNBA team right now specifically one of that you know Minnesota's who have been pretty aggressive if I think getting in right now is a pretty good time to strike in terms of, of women's sports and everything that's coming from the backside of that. So, uh, all right. So, so the numbers kind of match there, or at least are in the ballpark there, which is important because for, for so many years, we've been following these things and we've had to kind of figure out the multiplier effect, right? Like Forbes values the, the Yankees at 5 million, but if you're ever going to buy the Yankees, it's really like times three or whatever it's going to, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying like, yep. it's, they, they, yes. you have to be reasonable about, what a purchase, especially with bidding wars, would get to. And we say, you know, that's a free agent conversation we have all the time. Well, if he hits the open market and five teams want him or, or a trade conversation, Dame Lillard's now supposedly on the trade block. Well, if it's just the Lakers going after him, then this is what he's valued at. But if 11 teams are making a run at Dame Lillard, 
Well, the price is just different. That's how that's part of this conversation, and that's not a part of these rankings. This is just a flat. Here's what we think it is. We've done the homework. We've done the research. There's a popularity version of this. There's a, you know, trending up, trending down version of this. You know, I mean, the, the Timberwolves are on a downslide right now, so I would expect their number to be at or below their valuation. Uh, it, that, that, that's it's a bad time to get into that team right now specifically with superstars who are already paid or need to be paid and zero wins the ghost to show for it. So I get them having to throw in the links and other assets to sweeten this pot because otherwise I don't know how you're selling this team right now, you know? Oh, completely agree. The, the Minnesota Timberwolves, their win percentage over the last three years has been uh, 35%. Yep. And, um, you know, they're always, they've been in the lottery for the last few years. And so um, we'll see where that goes. One of the metrics I did run as a comparison was to see the ratio of uh, top three valuations versus the bottom three valuations. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to see how close to one, meaning everyone is very close together. The the higher the number, the further apart the franchises are at the top and the bottom. Sure. The gap. So in, so the NBA is actually right in the middle right now. Their their top three versus their bottom three is at a three point five ratio. The the NFL is what does that mean, Scott? It means that there's half of the teams that are very doing very well and half that are doing just it, okay. It, Nobody's really it, doing terrible or outstanding. It means the top three are worth three and a half times more than the bottom three. Okay. So is there, is there more parity in that league? Cause I would, I would assume that that would be the the answer that that league would have a little bit more parity. It just seems like the small market teams have no chance truly. Yeah. And they act that way. Yeah. Yeah, Because the NFL, when I look at the NFL, their top three versus their bottom three is 2.3 times. And baseball is, well, baseball is probably worse now in the state of that. They're almost, they're almost four. Yeah. They're almost four. The top four and that top three are four times, almost four times more as the bottom. NHL is five. So did you run EPL? Because I have to imagine that's the worst of all of this. <laughs> uh, I mean, they basically I, they they placate to that. They want their big four or five to be the richest, most powerful franchises in all of sports. Yeah. So EPL is at a thirty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> The high, highest, the highest is at four point six billion, all the way down to a sixty million valuation. I don't even know how where we go from there. I mean, that seems like a, a walk off shot. Thirty eight percent ratio. I mean, that's the multiplying factor. That's the gap between top and bottom. That that, that says the top three are worth thirty eight times more than the bottom three. <laughs> that's phenomenal. And, and I, and I ran MLS too. Out of the U.S. sports, MLS is the clo- you know is close to where NFL is. MLS has a two point four percent or times from the top three to the bottom three, which is why you're seeing more investors in the MLS. We well, had the Houston Dynamo, two points, two points, and- Scott. Yes, you're seeing that. Good time to get in because there is a more of a flat line approach. But also, Scott, I think expansion leads to that. Yes, because it does. everybody gets a piece of the pie. You, you, there's a, there's an initial buy-in, and then every every other franchise gets a piece of that buy-in. 
And that's why the NHL wants expansion. That's why Major League Baseball wants expansion. They want to flatline this thing a little bit. Not that they want to knock the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox down too much, but they need to bring, you know, who are the bottom three in baseball? Is it, is it, what is it, Baltimore? Is it Tampa? Is it Miami? Where, where is it? Uh, the bottom three right now is Miami, then Tampa Bay, then Kansas City. Kansas City. Okay. So, you know, you throw Nashville into this league, maybe even a Canadian, right? If you put Montreal back in this league, which, you know, the Canada dollar is strong compared to U.S. right now. Those things matter. And when sports are struggling, like I think, and I shouldn't say struggling, they're all making money, of course, but when they're when they're not as powerful and strong as the other sports in the nation, in the world, I think evening things out a little bit and adding a little bit more financial parity is the right approach. That to me has to be the driving force of this major league baseball competitive, uh, competitive balance switch with this new CBA. Yeah. Yeah. Not only should we not allow teams to tank, right? Not only should we fix the, the a floor, which I know people are laughing at me for, because that's just so far away from anything that can be discussed really. But not only should they be fixing that, but they should be talking about the fact that, Hey, we got to make sure that everybody is properly funded right now and that our smaller teams, we, we, we don't want to lose teams. We just, we want to make sure that everybody has the ability. Let, let's not force them to spend. Let's make it more possible for them to want to spend. Let's put money in their pockets. So when, when, when December comes around and Sonny Gray is available and, and the Kansas City Royals need a, start, need a starting pitcher, they're willing to go $20 million a year to bring that guy here for three years and, and push a little window open versus we just can't do it. We're the Cleveland Indians. When it gets to arbitration time, we got to trade our best pitch pitchers and hope we got more in the tank. That's just That shouldn't be how these, these franchises in these sports should operate. And, and the league shouldn't want that. They shouldn't want that because it's bad for fan bases, which is the ultimate end result here. How do you keep these fans engaged? Well, the Cowboys are the, are the masters. They're the masters, Scott. And maybe you can say the Yankees are, but I'm not even sure that's the case anymore. The Yankees are still banking on tradition and history and, and so much nostalgia that dads and, and moms are, are passing down those stories to sons and daughters sort of organically. What have the Yankees done to really drive young generation? You know what I mean? Like Aaron Judge is fun, but is Aaron Judge really something that, you know, parents are dying to take their kids to see? I don't think so. Maybe one and done. Jerry Jones makes, I mean, look at the stadium he just put out for his fans. Look at this. Oh, it is still talked about a decade later. I mean, it's, yeah. that's, my, he knows exactly how to do it. Yeah. My, my brother went there a few years ago and said that the stadium is, it's just unbelievable. unbelievable. And there's always, there's always something going on there. It's not just for sure. football. It's he owns for college sports. He owns rodeos, conventions. college sports there, yeah. convention. You name it, they are having it in there. You know, looking at the metrics that I did here, the one thing that stood out, and you you mentioned it with, um, you know, talking last episode with the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, Tampa Bay Rays, they are second from the bottom in the baseball valuations <laughs> here. They, they've won 60% of the time, and their stadium was built in 1990. So what? I'm oh, like, it's where, such a dump. Where, where would Tampa Bay's valuation be with the way they structured their, their franchise and the winning and the player development if they were, A, in a stadium that actually you know is up to par with today's times and in a town where fans would want to go see these players? I don't Nothing know. Against- I mean, look, the, the Marlins 
just rebuilt in 2012. And nobody's going to that. They they were yeah. divisional contenders for a few years there. They're, they still can't get butts in seat. It's just a climate that doesn't want to sit for a baseball game. So I think that's why Tampa Bay is, is has been holding off for so many years, Scott, even though they're 90-win teams, you know? Well, that's what I, that, that's why I mean. I wonder if the Tampa Bay Rays were in Nashville or in Las Vegas sure. or you know, somewhere else. What would their valuation? Jump I think it's to? the only answer. You're right. You're right. They, they they deserve to be at least middle of the pack with with the yes. the performance they've shown in the field, and they're just in a situation that will completely it'll it'll damper them until it'll until it'll bury them. In my opinion. It's, they're going downward, even though their franchise is is unbelievably outperforming themselves on the field. And yet, I bet I bet if you ran the trends, they're they're down every year, down. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah it is. And going back to the MLS, all of those teams are building these brand new stadiums, twenty thousand. You know, they're making it more intimate and everything like that. And you have the expansion. You, they already have two or three teams lined up in the future that are looking to come in. Mm-hmm. And we just had Mark Ingram invest in the DC United. They're valued at $700 million right now. Two years ago, they were valued at $330 million. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got like the Houston Dynamo. They were just purchased for 400 450 somewhere in there. So you, you have a lot of athletes and other investors wanting to get into the MLS because the the – gap between the highest and the lowest is is shrunk compared to some of these other leagues so it, it's going to be interesting to see especially as we talk about you know nwsl expanding with the los angeles franchise they they've got another team um it, it's a huge year for them i talked about it with emily last last week scott uh, if if that u.s women's team wins olympics again olympic gold again it it, it is the ultimate you know, bank off of marketing promotion for that NWSL, you know, to run some sort of fall, fall cup again, a champions cup, get those, get those girls back on TV, back onto networks, you know, with their NWSL teams. That is how these franchises can quickly grow. You bank off of the every four years, you've got the best 15 girls, you know, girl soccer players in the world. That that is name image likeness at its best right there. And, And quite frankly, that's, there's a lot of sports in that boat. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we'll be sitting here probably next May talking about I, I I would I would gather to guess that that's the conversation. That it's look at where the WNBA is now. Look at where women's soccer is now. Uh, you know, will MLS Scott have its first 1 billion dollar acquisition? We're trending in that direction. We definitely are. We're trending in that direction. So, it's uh it's it's good news for the smaller sports. There's no question about it. And then they're not small sports on the field, they're just small sports in comparison, of course, to what, you know, America prefers to watch. It's just the fact of life. But the NFL is pretty healthy is the takeaway here. I mean, what's the lowest value valued team in football? What are the Bengals valued at? Just under two. Is that right? Uh, they are at 2.12. Over two now. Yeah, over two. Over two. And where are the NBA tops? Is it Lakers? Uh, it is the uh, Knicks. At 5.4, Golden State Warriors are at 5.2, Lakers 5.14. Then it does a massive drop to the Brooklyn Nets at 3.4. So, and like you you mentioned, Minnesota, they're buying at 1.5, and they're third from the bottom. So them them being bought for 1.5 at the bottom 
is good for everybody above them because then you can say, all right, our valuation is most likely going to go up <laughs> right. in some instances because of where that, how much that has shifted for uh, that purchase. Timberwolves Stadium, fairly new arena. Uh, it was opened in uh, 1990. Okay, so that's next. You would think that's next. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly the path. You get in, you, you figure out what's wrong, you trim some fat, and then if if you're a franchise that has a you know a somewhat dormant arena slash stadium slash ballpark, that seems to be the trend. Let's do this. Let's put it all in. Let's get the city involved where possible. Let's get everybody involved. Let's make it a big hoopla. Let's get and especially now, Scott, that gambling's legal, and you can yes. build in these kiosks mm-hmm. and build in, you know, FanDuel situations right inside these arenas or inside your seating, your seats. That's reason for everybody to start well, to rebuild, honestly. Well, and that, and that's why I mentioned with Sportico, they, their evaluations are including of everything. So if teams know this and they want their valuations to go up, you know, build the new stadium, but include the technology, include yeah. the internet, include the gambling. You can do the renovations, but if you, I, I Scott, are, real quick, I, I wonder, maybe some homework for you next year, if you can remember 12 months out, where will the states that have legalized mobile gambling be on this list? They're, they're going to oh, soar. They're going to yes. soar next year because it's just money that those other teams can't make. They can't do it. You know what I mean? Whereas I do a new stadium, new technology, new gambling. Oh, that's enough. For, for I mean, you know, the Bills could be huge players come 2024 in this franchise list. If, if all those three things come true, as, they, as it sounds like they're going to be, not to mention a possible Super Bowl, right? Uh, you know, they could be the team. If you're betting on franchise valuations, by the way, can we do that, FanDuel? Shout out. <laughs> can we bet on valuation rankings? Because I would bet that the Lakers surpass the Golden State Warriors. Because my guess is, Scott, that these numbers are based on one year prior. So now the Lakers have that championship. The Warriors have Correct. another year where they overpaid for a bet for an average team. The Lakers have to jump the Warriors next year, right? Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And um, and if you're going to bet the Rams to win the Super Bowl, I would bet them to jump to number two ahead of the Patriots next year. That why not? I don't know if they're going to jump that much. Is it that far away? Yeah, eight hundred million or so. I don't know if they're going to jump that much. I want, I want to gamble on franchise valuations. But, <laughs> is that, is that the saddest you thing you've heard? But you make, you make an excellent point about the, the the where the gambling part is in these teams coming in. I just looked up Golden Vegas Golden Knights. They're thirteenth in the NHL. <laughs> and they just got and, here, and they're and they just got here. So <laughs> where you're located, your what is around you, the stadium that they built, including the gambling and everything else that's in there, it. It means a lot. So that's why I brought up at the beginning with the Buffalo Bills and their stadium. And, you know, I don't want to dive into that too much, but knowing that the NFL has been pushing for this new stadium, you're going to start seeing any of these old stadiums that teams have. They, they know if we push for these new stadiums, we can add all these extra sure. uh, sparkles to the stadium to the team, it's going to raise the valuation and it's going to keep everyone, you know, you're going to have your Dallas Cowboys, but everyone that's in the bottom third, 
they're going to shift all of those guys, all those franchises up, and it's going to make them have a valuation where that times value that I was mentioning is even closer together than when you have baseball or EPL where it's so far in distance. The, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are basically Patrick Mahomes at $45 million a year right now. Whereas every yes. other quarterback isn't really playing for forty-five million a year, they're playing for forty to forty-two right now. You know what I mean? Like, there's just I a do. realistic difference between one versus two through thirty, and uh, two through thirty-two in the quarterback state. Um, and that's going to happen every now and then. And I think for a while, you know, you look at the major league baseball payrolls. That's the Dodgers right now. I mean, the Dodgers are fifty million ahead of everybody, and they don't care. They don't care. Because they they know they have the the best team in baseball over a one sixty two plus playoffs you know season, and they're all in. And we've talked about this before. That should matter to a franchise. That there there you should be rewarded. You understand what I'm saying? For essentially, mm-hmm. and and to, and the the Warriors should be in the same boat. The Warriors should be rewarded for getting in the situation they got in and not selling the farm. So many other franchises would have sold the parts. Like, holy hell, our windows, our windows slam shut. Clay's never going to be Clay again. Draymond's too old to really be a factor anymore. Let's not, you know, let's make our number two pick. Let's shop Steph Curry. Let's let's be smart business people here and do this the right way. And I have to wonder, state, you know, talking arenas here, if that arena wasn't being erected and completed at the exact moment it was, would they have done what they done? Would they have kept this thing intact, this team? Or would they have sold Steph Curry and broke it down? Yeah. But they they almost were obligated. Well, we just put X bill into this arena and we've already got, you know, an entire set of luxury suites slash season tickets sold, literally sold. The licenses are done. Like we've done our part. We can't, we can't tear down the roster. We'll have, there'll be an uproar. We'll get sued. So that's a great point. You know, knowing that comment that you just made, what do the lake? Uh, what do the Clippers do? Yeah. Because they're building their stadium. If Kawhi leaves, Paul George, they signed to the extension. You uh-huh. know, what is that roster going to look like when that stadium actually opens up? And and when I look at the uh, Sportico NFL valuations, the the top go- uh, teams that you've you've mentioned, you know, Dallas, new stadium, they're so high. Foxborough that opened up in in two thousand two. The Rams are third. They have a new stadium. The Giants and Jets are. Fourth and fifth, they sure. have their newer stadium. The San Francisco 49ers, they have a new stadium. They're right behind the Giants and the Jets. And then you get into the Washington football team, the Bears, the Eagles, Houston. You know, so yeah. those teams, the gritty, at the top, the gritty teams. <laughs> but those teams at the top, they've had to have had an influx of uh, valuation quantity up because of the sure. stadium being in there wow. so it's going to be interesting to see let where... me finish on this because it is it is the off season this is where a lot of the rumors start i mentioned the dame Lillard situation we're certainly going to get there soon probably with keith at the end of the week here scott um as long as it keeps some you know some momentum I, you know i mentioned how jerry was social in the media before social media was even here i mentioned we mentioned the stadium we mentioned you know all the little things that the cowboys have just done right annoyingly or not but here's something that isn't getting talked about enough. And it's ironic because it is exactly how much he talks. Letting guys play out their contract and causing a year and a half of un- unrest 
anxiety and absolute 100% domination of sports media coverage, that's an element that Sportico has to be including. That, that is part of social media. That is part of just popularity, attention. We talked about Dak Prescott for 18 months, Scott. 18 months. And not just us, everybody. Everybody opened every show with, why isn't Dak signed yet? What's the number going to be when he's signed? What if they don't sign him? What's the franchise tag going to do? What happens if he's hurt? Holy hell, he's hurt. Now what happens to Dak? There was constant, constant. We did the same thing with Zeke Elliott. We did the same thing with Elliott. We did the same thing with the wide receivers. We did the same thing with Des Bryant. This is calculated, Scott. This is not, he's not being a, an idiot. He's not, oh, I should probably get around to signing my players. He's not trying to screw his players. He always gives them the top of the market contract. <laughs> so he got the top running back contract. Dak got an unbelievable quarterback contract. Des got way overpaid, knowing what we know about Des now. Demarcus Lawrence got coin. I, he pays. He does the right thing at the end of the day, but he lets that buildup happen. He creates the drama. He feeds the monster. He feeds the animal over and over. He nurtures it. He'll throw a wrinkle out there. He'll let Zeke go on a radio show and say something. Not, no, not many owners allow that. He lets Dak do his normal publicity. Dak's too nice of a guy to really stir the pot too much. But just letting things dangle, letting contracts expire, it is such a powerful thing for an owner to have on his side, even though there's no leverage, even though Jerry has absolutely no contractual leverage over any of these players at the end of the day, especially the quarterback, especially Dak. Just feeding the animal probably raised his valuation a half a million dollars. Because we talked about it for a year and a half. How can that not be in his favor? It is Cowboys, 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 even though they were one of the worst teams all of last year without their quarterback. And all we did is talk about his team. So it's a small little thing, but there's something to letting these guys play out their contracts and building up that anxiety and building up that momentum. And I, I know agents are probably throwing things at the wall here, hearing me say this out loud because nobody wants that. Players especially, they want to get paid early, but you want to create some momentum? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's pretty easy stuff. Good yeah, stuff, Scott. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. My thanks to Scott. Great stuff there on franchise valuations. Feel free to check out spottrack.com for that NFL offseason highlight piece and for anything from Keith Smith lately in terms of the NBA breakdowns. He'll continue to pump those out. That is what he's here to do, and he's great at it. So check him out on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA, and writing frequently at spottrack.com. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription. And visit morganstanley.com slash GSE for financial solutions for prospective NBA and NFL draft prospects. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>